0: I'm a little bit skeptical still that any concrete changes will come from this. My name is Nicholas King, and I work at Public Works. I grew up in New York City, and New York City has two million Black people, and there's a lot of Black experiences to be had. when you have 2 million people in New York City, you kind of have the whole universe in black people. There's, there's doctors and lawyers and bank robbers too. And all of these years later, uh, being here in California, it's still disorienting for me because there's just not a lot of black people in California as a as state as a whole and definitely not in San Francisco. So you, I kind of miss out on that contextual part of being black. Uh, my kids growing up here, having a very different experience than I did. And that's, it's not bad or good necessarily. It's just really different, um, especially because they are, in addition to being black, they're white and Asian. So they've got multiple things going on. So when it comes to talking to kids about this, obviously it's a difficult subject and it's, it's hard to know what to say. And I struggle with, Trying to prepare them for reality, but also not trying to give them baggage that's unnecessary. but the silver lining, if I can call it that, of talking about racism with kids is is that it's not theoretical. Um, when I talk to them about the dangers of getting hit by a car, they don't really know what it means to be struck by a vehicle, and I do. And so that's a hard conversation to have because it's theoretical. And when we're talking about race, the good news, bad news is, is that it's very concrete because as we walk around San Francisco, we observe things and things happen to us personally, and it gives us the opportunity to have a conversation. So, for example, uh, we have a really short walk home uh, from school to our house, and we were walking once, me and my two boys, and and I was walking a little bit ahead of them because they were bickering or something. and this white guy stopped me and he said, excuse me, and stopped me on the street. And, uh, you know, the boys caught up with me and he said that he had observed their behavior and that it was inappropriate and it was bad. And in this moment, I wanted this guy to mind his own business, but I wasn't going to argue with somebody in front of them. I wanted to stay calm and show them what it means to stay calm. I said, I thanked the, the gentleman for his suggestion on my parenting. And I could tell he didn't appreciate my thank you or didn't think it was sincere because he he upped the ante and said, um, "You know, I could I could call nine one one about this because the older boy is bullying the younger boy." I can't remember if he threatened to call nine one one on me uh, as the parent or on you know my probably then ten year old son, um, but he did threaten to involve the state. So. Little things like that that are potentially not so little give us the chance to talk about why this happened and who this happens to. So stuff like that happens to us and it gives us the chance to talk. So that's usually our starting point for these conversations. It is tempting to think that here we are in summer 2020 that things are a little bit different and how sustained a lot of these protests have been and the energy and the people speaking up who haven't spoken up before. Um, But this stuff has been a problem for hundreds of years uh, and I don't think it's going to go away easily. Even in the midst of all this, um, just when I, you know, my hard shell was beginning to crack a little bit to let some hope in. Um, I was picking up my kids from camp just less than 48 hours ago. Um, And I, I, at the the top of my own stoop, and there was an Amazon box there, as there often is, Um, my own front door was open behind me. And I was opening the package because I don't, bring packages into the house these days because they've been on a truck and who knows who's been touching them. Um, And so as I was opening this small Amazon box uh, in a sweatshirt with the name of my law school on it, um, with my mask on in my own front door, um, I saw, I heard actually uh, a voice say, hey, is that yours? Um, And I looked up and there was a guy who had Crossed the street. Like he was on the other side of the street walking his dog and decided to come over and investigate just this. And the funny thing is, is that he looks familiar. Like I've seen him before on my block. I guess he hasn't seen me or I guess he's seen me maybe in a different way. Um, But his first impulse was to yell at me and ask if I was stealing a box. And... It's an honest mistake, potentially, and it could be so much easier if he just apologized. But he kind of scurried off, I think, when he realized his error. And little things like that really infuriate me and remind me of what a difficult nut to crack this uh, racism thing is. And I'm a little bit skeptical still that any... Concrete changes will come from this. So I've been working on racial equity issues for Public Works, at Public Works for some time with a group of coworkers, and it's a really hard mandate to say, how do we bring racial equity to the department? it's bigger than a lot of the projects I've worked on and harder to wrap our heads around. And a couple of narrow things that I hone in on to make it more identifiable and, and maybe make some more tangible attainable goals for me is, is just to think about what decisions does the department make? Does the city make that either impact certain communities in negative ways or, or, Further decisions from the past. So to maybe make it a little bit more concrete, if you look at the maps from the middle of the last century that sh- that the government made that showed banks where to invest and where not to invest, specifically because of term they use terms like racial infiltration. Like there's Mexicans and Japanese and Negroes in this neighborhood, and therefore you should not invest in it. If you look at those maps um, of San Francisco. Um, with those comments in them. And then you look at the maps of almost anything else, um, income, COVID cases, um, all sorts of things, the maps track. Um, and so I think it's a little bit difficult for me to wrap my head around changing the hearts and minds of people. Um, that's a, a wonderful goal uh, that we should strive for over generations. But right now I'd be satisfied with, just focusing on people's actions um, and just focusing on the department's decisions in hiring and our allocation of resources to neighborhoods um, and doing what we can to be anti-racist about it. So one of the things that will be part of our work is, is wrapping our heads around what does it mean on a micro level for a city department, for people sitting in cubicles, what does it mean to be anti-racist? And to give just one example, I think one of the hardest jobs I ever had for the city was when I was a legislative aide. And the hard part, or one of the hard parts of the job was, is that the public had access to you. So they could email, they could call, they could walk in at any time, and they had their problems. And it was my job to try to help solve their problems. And They often said racist things, but as a city employee, I wasn't given any tools to address them um, and to handle it in a specific way. And if I had my way, knowing what I know now, I'd like to give our city employees some tools to work through situations that I know happen. So, for example, I remember multiple people. Um using the same we call and they'd say, Hey, I'm a homeowner uh, and a taxpayer in Noe Valley, and there's a there's a Mexican on the corner selling mangoes. Um, and they would call under the guise of saying, Does he have a permit? But they would use language like there's a Mexican. Clearly that was relevant to them, that there was a Mexican in the neighborhood. Um, and I could give example after example of people calling um, and complaining, maybe not about the volume of music on their block, but the that hip hop was playing, or people calling and saying, there's kids in the neighborhood, and I can tell that they're not from around here. And so as an employee, I was just left to deal with this stuff and be resourceful, which is part of the job of a legislative aide. But in retrospect, I feel like the city could have done a better job of saying, there are some complaints... That we will engage with you on, and some that we won't tolerate, or some that you should use this language to deal with people instead of leaving us off on our own. I think a lot of us were miseducated as young people into thinking that racism is a thing of the past. And if it is in the present, then it has to be very intentional and it has to involve, you know, maybe even a white hood and using racial slurs. And as long as you're not in that category, then you're not racist. Um, And that allows people to get away with a lot of things and to not really look at their own behavior. But I love the question of, is is this policy anti-racist? Because it leads to a whole different set of answers. Thank you for listening to Snapshots, a public works podcast.